rest of the NHL dealing with more COVID complications. It's the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also does unbelievable work covering the team at the Athletic Canucks Hour, brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, we're live here at Rogers Arena. We were expecting to be able to watch Canucks game day skate ahead of their scheduled game tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets. That didn't materialize, and I'll just run through what we know, how the morning unfolded really quickly for all of our listeners. Reports from you and others who cover the team started to kind of come through this morning, and then about 20 minutes ago, the Canucks made it official, announcing that defenseman Luke Shen and forward Yuho Lamico have been placed into the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. As a result, morning skate today was canceled, the team says, As a precaution, they're also expecting to get results for the rest of the team and the team's traveling party before tonight's game against Columbus. And, Drancer, as you know, this is hardly isolated around the NHL, but what are your immediate reactions? What are the immediate takeaways from the COVID-19 news surrounding the Canucks this morning? Well, obviously it's unfortunate. And, you know, you immediately go to concern, especially because we covered this a yes. year ago, well, not even a year ago, eight months ago, when this team was widely unvaxxed and when the outcome from the ailment was much more severe for various members of the staff and, and various players as well, right? So you sort of go into that immediately and, and are immediately concerned. My understanding is, you know, basically asymptomatic t- to this point yep. for, for the two positives uh, so far. Hopefully that continues. Um, you know, I, I reported this morning that I had one. Turns out that the Canucks got an additional positive later on in the day. Um, you know, they've announced Luke Shen and Yuho Lamico as, as being added to COVID protocol. They've also put Travis Hamannick on to LTI, which means he won't be able to return until the very end of the month, like probably that game against the 30th against the Kings, just based on his 10-game slash 24-day absence based on LTI rules. Clubs recalled Philip D. Giuseppe. They didn't have cap space to recall a body without placing Hamannick on LTI. Very complicated situation uh, that the club's going to have to navigate in terms of their roster, uh, especially with OEL status up in the air, although I think there's an expectation that he might be ready to return should the game tonight happen. Club has announced that additional testing will, uh, or has already occurred today, and that the results will be received prior to the game against Columbus. I'd expect that whether or not the game is played hinges uh, quite significantly yes. on the result, on the on the hope that no, if no additional players will flip from positive to, or from negatives to positives um, in the additional round of testing. Club also announced that enhanced uh, safety protocols have been implemented in conjunction with the NHL, and we saw a hint of that as skate was canceled when Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, who are both fully vaccinated players, uh, jumped on the bench to have a quick chat with Ian Clark wearing masks. Of course, under NHL protocols, fully vaccinated players are not typically required to wear masks in team settings. So that's sort of the brief rundown of where we are. It's going to be wildly complicated, particularly in the event that the spread is not contained. Yeah. And we're looking around the league right now. My colleague at The Athletic, Mike Russo, is 
Expecting additional positives from the Carolina Hurricanes, who of course played here in this building on Sunday night. One of the players who played that day, Seth Jarvis, has since flipped to positive. If additional players flip to positive, I think we would probably have a baseline expectation that the Canucks you know, may end up with more than two uh, on the COVID protocol. We will know more today. Uh, at some point, the Canucks will address what's going on, and you know it, it's going to be one of those buckle up and, and wait and see situations, not dissimilar from what we experienced in March, right ahead of that Calgary Flames game that got suspended yep. prior to the Canucks having the biggest COVID outbreak in North American pro sports. And honestly, not dissimilar, like the vibe today at the rink felt a lot like that January where we all got turned away following a couple of um, or one positive for the Canucks and then an additional player who was a close contact right before the 2021 season began, um, you know, uh, which caused JT Miller and Jordy Ben to miss some games. So um, hopefully, hopefully here we're looking at, uh, you know, players who, uh, you know, don't get particularly sick thanks to the fact that everyone's vaccinated on this team and uh, and we'll sort of take it from there and, and read and react as the news unfolds and as you mentioned we're expecting certainly to hear uh, from the Canucks at least some representatives of the organization will uh, talk to the media address exactly what's going on answer some of the questions we have whenever that is and we, we don't have a time yet but whenever that is we'll get you that information and that availability live here on Sportsnet 650. You mentioned the situation with the Carolina Hurricanes right now. Seth Jarvis was uh, placed in COVID protocol yesterday. As you said, your colleague at the Athletic, Michael Russo, reporting the Carolina Hurricanes could have more players entering protocol today. Now, the interesting thing is, as the Canucks detailed in their release, announcing that Luke Shen and, and Yuho Lamico have tested positive for COVID-19, the the Luke Shen test was actually done before the game against Carolina on Sunday, and they found out yesterday that Luke Shen had tested positive. So that suggests that it's not a direct relation between right. the outbreak that Carolina is dealing with uh, and the outbreak that the Canucks are now dealing with, which is interesting because, of course, Carolina had also played Calgary, who have, I believe, they're, they added more players to COVID protocols today. They're now up to nine players, and... You know, it's just that suggests multiple independent outbreaks, right? That it's not just one chain stemming from Calgary, which if you're at the NHL, I mean, that would be, I would think, the kind of preferred scenario, right? Okay, it's it's this one cluster, and that's where it's stemming from. That makes it easier to contain. But the Canucks timeline suggests that's not the case. Yeah. And it, it's, it really is interesting in light of, again, what's happening everywhere else around the NHL. Because as you said... You know, we'll see if the Canucks, right now it's at two, we'll see when the results of today's testing and then potentially tomorrow's testing as well come in, if there are any more players added to the list. But the pattern we've seen in Calgary is, right, it was six yesterday, three today. Uh, Carolina expected to add more. Frequently, that is how it goes. There's no guarantee that's how it goes, and you hope you can contain it. You hope with the enhanced safety protocols. But this is definitely a story that leading up to the scheduled game against the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight and over the next couple of days, there's going. it's going to bear a lot of monitoring with the Vancouver Canucks to see, is it contained to two, or do eventually more players get added to the COVID protocols? Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. And that's the big question that I'm sure the league is – Anxious to see. and Look, I'm sure the Columbus Blue Jackets are anxious to see. I mean, the yep. Blue Jackets were supposed to play Calgary next. That game's been postponed. Um, you know, there are massive scheduling ramifications to having the Blue Jackets have two games to make up. 
right? And, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how the NHL navigates this because right now there are a lot of teams with situations that look pretty dicey. Yeah. And, you know, there's not it's not easy to make those games up even with the club have even with the NHL having that Olympic break, right? And an Olympic participation being very much in doubt, not just because of what we're seeing with COVID outbreaks across the league. And as we sort of go through, you know, what to do about it, I mean, buildings are booked. Like, lots of buildings have booked yes. concerts and additional sort of things that are occurring within their, um, you know, environment in the month of February. So it's not, it's not a simple process to you know, get our get us to the point where games can just be rescheduled easily. Like it's going to be uh it's going to be tough. And and so we'll see how the NHL reacts. We'll see if the game tonight is being played. All indications for now are that it is, but one would assume that that hinges significantly on the outcome yes. of additional Canucks expedited testing uh today. Yeah, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. If you have uh thoughts, questions about the Canucks, specifically about the COVID situation, anything else going on with the team right now. This one comes in. The Canucks played the Bruins last week. They also have players in protocol. That's correct. correct. Brad, Brad Marchand, Marchand and yeah. Craig Smith uh, have both been added to COVID protocol. The last time I checked, just before we went on the air, there was a total of 30 players around the NHL currently in COVID-19 protocols. Now, nine of those are members of the Calgary Flames. But if you also if you follow various insiders and reporters covering the game, a lot of them were indicating that number could go up today as more teams, including the Canucks, who have already announced a couple of names, more teams are expected uh, to add players to COVID protocol. So it's at 30 right now. We will monitor that number, see where it goes for the rest of the day. But as you said, Drancer, you know, the immediate thought is, and, and you know, not just from a Canucks perspective, but from an NHL-wide perspective, the immediate thought is about the Olympics, which even if there weren't issues postponing games and potentially postponing games for the NHL, Olympic participation seemed to be very much up in the air from the player's perspective. But as you say, it's not just as simple as, okay, well, we won't go to the Olympics and then we can just plug all these postponed games into what would have been the Olympic break. There's a lot more complexity to that. And I do wonder if the NHL is going to try to be even more proactive with how they address the situation. We've seen them be very, very reluctant to postpone games, understandably, because it's so difficult to reschedule those games despite the Olympic break that you might have to work with. We've seen them be very hesitant to postpone games. But with the situation spreading around the league, I do wonder, I mean, what are the buttons the NHL can push to kind of get ahead of this and get a handle on it to the point where it doesn't become this, this just logistical nightmare down the road to reschedule a bunch of games. Well, for sure. And I, I think that's, you know, that's that, that's the key with uh, with no further spread, like contained spread, like at the point where you don't have additional negatives flipping to positives, right? I mean, that's the key moment. Like, that's the key judgment. And and I, I'd imagine that, you know, especially with so many teams now in, if affected by this, right? Including, like, the Columbus Blue Jackets are a really good example where, you know, to my knowledge, there's no Columbus Blue Jackets players on the COVID protocol. No. And yet they have a postponed game already this week. Yep. And maybe another. Yep. And that's sort of the knock-on effects that can spread really quickly as you have more and more teams in the situation that, you know, Calgary is in and that the Carolina Hurricanes appear to be and that maybe, and hopefully not, the Canucks could be depending on the outcome of further testing. 
Uh, this one comes in. Uh, do we know if it'll be the coach who has to face the media like Green had to for the last couple of years, or will Jim Rutherford be the front man? It, it, it's an interesting question. As we said, we're waiting for more details about when and who will speak uh, for the Canucks. We'll certainly carry that live here on Sportsnet 650 whenever it does happen today. Obviously, this is a very a very weighty, a very significant issue for the team, for the league. And, and this text comes in, and it's so simple, but I do think it's it's important to keep in mind, just unsigned, this is terrible news for the Canucks. And again, let's – look, we are we cover the hockey team. We're focused on the hockey side of things, and we're going to report how it affects their schedule, how it affects things from a hockey perspective. But let's not lose sight of the human side here as well. And, I mean, in the Canucks situation – one, they dealt with a, a really bad outbreak last season, towards the end of last season, and we know that there were some players who had a really tough time of it, but also they have a player on their roster who is still suffering the consequences of long COVID, right? And who's, you know, who, whose health is still being impacted months and months down the line. So the Canucks know better than anybody that this is not something to be trifled with. This can have serious implications. And again, as much as it is, Bad news from a hockey perspective, bad news potentially for the team. You also have to keep in mind the human side for the players' impact. We don't – look, as you said, what we're hearing right now is asymptomatic for the players involved. But, again, the example of Brandon Sutter, I'm sure, looms large for a lot of these players, right? Like, they have very firsthand information about where this can go and how it can go in a not-great direction. Well, and it helps that there's – you know, like, this is why it mattered, for example, that the Canucks are 100% vaccinated. Right, like this is why that was such a vital um, thing for this team to achieve, right? And and clearly, you know, they worked hard on it. Like it was a it was a ma- it was a matter of extreme team focus, particularly as it regards the the Hamonic situation. And you know, you are talking about a group of athletes now where there's a lot of double vaccinated players, right? Because of the scale of the outbreak last season, there's also a fair bit of natural immunity as well. And you hope. You hope that that means that any, you know, impact from what appears to be, to to this point, a small clustered outbreak uh, within a workplace setting for this club, you know, will will be minimal, minimally felt in terms of symptomatic, um, you know, uh, exhibition by the players uh, affected. And, And hopefully the number of players affected, too doesn't go up from here so we we have a bunch of just kind of nuts and bolts factual questions about this because the the process and the protocols and all that it does get fairly complicated so we'll try to just rattle through some of them here this one just simply i missed which players were in protocol who's out with COVID. luke shen and yuho lamico the canucks announced just before we got on the air have tested positive luke shen uh the club found out yesterday yuho lamico i believe they announced they found out this morning that he had tested positive. So it's Luke Shen and Yuho Lamico who are in COVID protocol right now for the Canucks. They also said they're expecting further testing results from this morning ahead of the scheduled game against the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight. Ian texts in, so protocols now, what's the process? We also had somebody asking, uh, okay, Luke Shen and, and Yuho Lamico go in protocol. What's the timeline for that? What does that mean in terms of how long they're out of action? 10 days. So uh, a fair few games for this team. Uh, but, you know, if they entered protocol today on the 13th or 14th, um, you know, we, we wouldn't expect to see them back until after Christmas. After Christmas. So, um, you know, a fairly lengthy layoff and, you know, a, a tricky one to navigate because players remain on the cap 
when they're in COVID protocol. Yes. Uh, and that's also why, you know, I think Hamannick was placed on LTI. You know, Hamannick, they gave a two- to three-week timeline for Hamannick's injury. His injury was backdated to the 9th, the 9th of December. So if it was a two-week injury, you might – like if he was pacing well on that recovery timeline, you might have had him back before Christmas. If it's a three-week timeline, that more closely approximates the length of time that he'll miss on LTI, which would appear to indicate that he can't return until the 30th of December. So you have to make determinations. This is what makes cap and roster management so tricky. You have to make a call, right? It's like, can we live without... If Hamannick is ready to come back eight games into this, can we live with that? Yeah. You know, those are the... the tough decisions that teams need to make day to day but with the possibility of further spread and the need for roster flexibility you know obviously the club decided to put Hamnick on LTI today and that's not a decision NHL teams make lightly especially because you know if he'd been on the optimistic end of his recovery timeline I mean you're you're essentially committing to miss him for four additional games that's yeah. that's significant especially for a player you know, who the club signed this offseason to a deal with $3 million um, a year, who's only played nine games for the club this season. Well, and because you're losing another right-handed defenseman in Luke Shen for part of that time, right? So yeah, that's you, true. you lose Luke Shen, the, the corresponding move to free up that cap space is you have to put another right-handed defenseman on the shelf for an extended period of time. Now, they do have... Noah Juleson, who was with the team as the extra defenseman. So and OEL and, looks poised to exactly. return. Exactly. And OEL, there's some expectation that he'll be ready to play if the game against Columbus goes ahead tonight. So they won't be in a situation where they're only dressing five defensemen yeah. or, or at least he's like possible. That. At least yeah. he's like in a questionable or doubtful status yeah. as so opposed to out. If it's not tonight, it, it, you would expect it probably Thursday against yeah. San Jose or, or at least very, very shortly. shortly yeah. So they're not going to be in one of those situations. But as you said, it, it does create a lot of complications as they're dealing with that daily salary cap management just before we get back to that topic the other thing that somebody had a question about and you mentioned okay they've implicated enhanced protocols now so what do those look like for an nhl team with a kind of a hand enhanced safety protocols? yeah I, i'm not exactly sure but sure. Uh, but clearly from what we've seen in the canucks tunnel and from canucks players it does include players being masked in non-athletic situations within the team facility which is different from the protocols that govern fully vaccinated players usually. I mean, the Canucks players have been unmasked in conversations with media and conversations with each other in meetings. And now, from what we've gotten a glimpse of, even as the Canucks have sealed off, you know, back of stage, back of house at Rogers Arena, what we've gotten a glimpse of suggests that now players are back to being masked and presumably there's additional protocols in place, I'd imagine, including some distancing and you know, other sort of rigid protocols that are more in line with the experience that players endured last season. Yeah. Uh, This test comes in. How often are they tested? If there was rapid testing, shouldn't have this all been discovered when the Calgary, when Calgary and the Canes had it, it seems like it's just the Bruins, Canes, Canucks, and Flames who have all played each other. Uh, Calgary and the Canucks haven't played each other, but the other teams, of course, Carolina and Boston were coming through on that Western Canadian uh, trip, but the interesting thing is, I, I understand what the what the texter is asking about. Okay, couldn't rapid testing have picked this up? But the interesting thing is, again, as we said, the timing of Luke Shen's positive test suggests that maybe this isn't related to Carolina, you know, getting it from Calgary and then bringing it to totally. Vancouver. So, yeah, I, I understand the point, but we don't exactly know the timeline and the kind of chain of 
okay, this team got it from this team, who got it from this team, that's still muddied right now. We're still waiting for more clarity, and that's the kind of thing that's often really impossible to prove anyways, right? You can connect the dots, but you, you might not know for certain, oh, this is where this outbreak started. 100%. The, uh, the other thing to note is uh, it's every three-day testing in the NHL this season. That's the protocol. And, you know, the fact that the Canucks tested Sunday, as they usually would, Right, so that they could test again prior to flying, which you need to do to cross the border for obvious compliance reasons and legal reasons and immigration reasons, right? Yeah. So that would have been their usual timeline. The fact that they discovered additional positives this morning would have been because the club decided to do, out of an abundance of caution, an additional round of testing. And, um, you know, the sort of additional fallout from that is that they now test and expedite they probably would have tested today anyway so that they could travel across the border you you lock that in but you know the additional testing today would have again been expedited out of an abundance of caution i would think that with the nhl being so racked with this across the league you know i i do wonder if we're going to move to a area where nhl teams are back to testing daily which is you know an extremely cumbersome process for yep. players and in in particular creates a situation where you never get a day off and that is a like you always have to go to the rink and that i i know was among the issues that really made last year a, a pretty dreadful experience for nhl players and we do have some breaking news as pertains to covid in the nhl not relating specifically to the canucks but espn's emily kaplan has reported uh, just moments ago on Twitter that the Carolina and Minnesota game tonight has been postponed. She says sources tell ESPN. Uh, she goes on to say the Hurricanes had four additional positive tests today, suggesting an active transmission. Now, as we said, that doesn't directly relate to the Vancouver Canucks and their game against Columbus, but it does kind of illustrate answer the situation and the circumstances in which the NHL will postpone a game, right? So if, if they are seeing a situation where the numbers are growing and they think there is active transmission happening uh, with a team, they might be willing or they might be forced to postpone a game. Again, Minnesota and Carolina has been postponed tonight. And while it doesn't relate specifically to the Canucks, the fact that the Cur- Hurricanes, who of course they just played on Sunday, had an additional four positive tests today, you know, as much as it seems like the Luke Shen positive test wasn't related to the game against Carolina, certainly the fact that we're now seeing a lot of positive tests from Carolina, that does have to worry you from a Canucks perspective oh, a little bit as well. For sure. I, I mean, because it suggests maybe that the Canucks could be dealing with multiple yep. transmission chains, chains, right? Like there could be a, a positive that's Vancouver-centric in addition to uh, another one that, that maybe uh, is connected to the Calgary Flames and the Carolina Hurricanes. So... You know, um, yikes. I mean, it, it is it is not good news, right? It is not good news, but we'll hope for some when the Canucks get further results from their testing today. Yeah, that's going to be the next thing to look up for. Again, if you're just joining us, the Canucks announced this morning, defenseman Luke Shen, forward Yuho Lamico, have tested positive for COVID-19, been placed in the NHL's COVID-19 protocols. We're expecting to hear from the Canucks on this topic at some point today. You'll hear that live here on Sportsnet 650, if at all possible. Uh, We are also expecting, according to the Canucks release earlier today, that they've done another round of rapid testing. They're expecting to get those results ahead of the scheduled game against the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight. Just for people asking, as we mentioned, the Canucks canceled morning skate as a precaution. You can hear the, the puck sounds and the skate sounds on the ice here at Rogers Arena. That's the Columbus Blue Jackets getting their 
morning skate in at the rink. So the Canucks, only a couple of players hit the ice. They didn't do their team-wide game day skate as they usually would. For now, that game is still, still scheduled to happen. If there's any update on that, any further news about the Canucks, of course we'll get it to you as soon as we can. But we are going to try to park the COVID issue as much as we can, as much as we're able to, in the next segment. We only had a few minutes yesterday to react to the Jim Rutherford presser answer, so we'll try to dive into a little bit more of what we heard from him on the other side, some of the big-picture talking points that emerged from his first press conference as the Canucks president of hockey operations. It is the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It is the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Drance live at Rogers Arena where the Columbus Blue Jackets are still working on their game day skate. If you joined us in the first segment, you heard, of course, that the Canucks canceled their morning skate ahead of tonight's scheduled game against the Blue Jackets. Uh, as a precaution, they say, due to two Canucks players entering COVID protocol, Luke Shen and forward Yuho Lamico are those two players. We will get you any further details, breaking news as that happens. Again, we are expecting to hear from the Canucks at some point today. They will address the media and take questions on this issue. You'll be able to hear that here live on Sportsnet 650. We'll let you know as we get further details about that. But there was, I mean, man... We have not been lacking for news around this team over the last couple of weeks. That's for sure, Drancer. And as much as we, you know, we devoted our first segment to detailing the the ramifications of the COVID-19 positive tests, yesterday was a massive day for this organization because, as you heard in this time slot, it was the first time Jim Rutherford addressed the media as the Canucks' new president of hockey operations. By the way, Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. And, Drancer, after the availability yesterday, you and I only had about 10 minutes to really you know, give the bullet points of what we heard from Jim Rutherford. We want to dig into it a little bit more here. 650-650 is the text line if you have thoughts or comments. And, you know, the more I think about it, just from a, a, a truly big-picture perspective, I think the thing that sticks with me most from what we heard from Jim Rutherford yesterday is just how much meat there was to what he had to say, right? Like, this was not, uh, hey, I'm here, and I'm excited, and I'm, I'm going to get to work and roll my sleeves up, and I'll have more for you later. You know, as much as there were times where he did kind of demur and say, you know what, I'm going to have to think about that. I don't have all the information right now. There were instances like that, but by and large, you know, there was a lot to chew on from Jim Rutherford in that presser yesterday. There was a lot, and then an awful lot, too, from his interview on The People's Show, where he cited in particular the idea of going through, you know, college free agency in in a way that the club hasn't signed a college free agent since Mark Michaelis. That was in March 2020. Yeah. That's been a historically a very, you know, useful source of, of quality talent. For this club, Chris Tanev being the most notable example, but I mean, go down the line. Troy Stetcher, yep. Aaron Volpatti, like a lot of college free agents have played meaningful minutes for this team over the years, and that's sort of been, not neglected, but certainly not the area that the club has been as aggressive in as in past seasons. Uh, so, you know, that matches Jim Rutherford's MO. You think about uh, Zach Ashton-Reese in particular being sort of the highest profile example 
uh, from his Pittsburgh days, but there are, there are others. That was an area where they were super aggressive in the past and, you know, probably could stand to benefit from if, if that's sort of an area of player acquisition that they prioritize. Again, you know, European free agents, like there's a ton of interesting talent in the KHL and in some of the European leagues, the NLA in particular. You know, guys that can help teams uh, if you get them. I think about about a guy like uh, Peter Solarik in the KHL, who's you know a dynamic scorer, has been more than point per game in his AHL career, or a guy like Corbin Knight. Corbin Knight's, um, you know, I think he's a BC kid anyway. He grew up a Canucks fan, but he's like a 30 year old who was sort of a, a fourth liner, like a redundant piece in the NHL earlier in his career. But now he's in the K and he wins like 70% of his draws. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it could that be the next Derek Ryan? Like, could that be the next guy who goes over, hones the details of his game and comes back and could be a stud fourth line type center? I mean, it's worth a shot, right? Like, those are the types of names that sort of resonate to me. You know, I think what's interesting about what he said in particular, right, about the meat that he gave us, about the idea that he'd take two months to evaluate this team, is now we can go through this exercise of looking through this roster and thinking with fresh eyes, with zero previous obligations yes. or, you know, there's no contract on these books, no player that he is wedded to in any sort of political stance or, like, no. he, he can view this team's situation with fresh eyes and there are some clear priorities, clear moves that you'd think he might prioritize for, making. For Jim Rutherford, it's not damning to move on from any player, right? No. Whereas with the previous regime, if you ch- if you choose to move on from, for example, JT Miller, that's damning because you spent a lot of assets to bring in JT Miller and you yep. pinned a lot of your hopes on JT Miller, right? So as you say, politically, that's difficult to do. It sends a really awkward message that you have to kind of explain to everyone. That's not the case for Jim Rutherford. That opens up a world of possibilities for him. Your point about the college free agents and the European free agents I think is a really important one. Those are the kinds of edges that every team should be pursuing. But what I thought was interesting, Jim Rutherford kind of talked about those avenues in the context of, look, this is a difficult situation, right? We don't have a lot of salary cap space. Don't necessarily have a lot of uh, tradable assets in terms of picks and prospects. I explicitly don't want to be trading away those high-level draft picks. What he was saying there, what I took from it was, we have to be really creative and pursue every possible edge we can to improve this roster, right? And again, every team should be trying to explore, you know, really talented college free agents and and kind of diamonds in the rough from Europe. But the sense I got from Jim Rutherford was, in this situation in particular, where there aren't those really obvious routes for us to improve our team, we're going to have to be as creative as we absolutely can to find ways to get better. And that's a very refreshing message from the Canucks top executive. Well, totally, especially because, you know, from my perspective, right, from my perspective, there's a lot of things that I've said that have rankled Canucks fans, especially over the course of the past 10 days. One of them being like, you know, this team's nowhere. They're 25th in the standings. They don't have a ton of prospects. They don't have a ton of, you know, short-term cap flexibility. Like, it's going to be hard to improve. It's going to be hard to disentangle what they've built with a team that's, you know, on pace for something like 80 points, right? So... You know, all of a sudden the new GM comes in and basically echoes those comments. Uh, you know, I, I, that's good. Like, good. That You know, he's coming in with a clear-eyed view of where this team is and what challenges lie ahead. And, you know, there's some interesting moves that, you know, I, I think need to be considered pretty quickly. Because one thing I think any incoming general manager, like, I want to be careful about how I say this. Rutherford came in and said, you know, by the end of January, we'll sort of have a better idea of where we're going. And that's dead on because that gives him 
this month and next, it gives a team that has been winning yep. of late, you know, it gives those players a chance to make the impression, like to make the case to him, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the answer here. I'm part of the solution. And I think that's an important message for an incoming executive to send to a team that's won six of seven, right? Like you guys, you know, show, show us what you can do. You have a chance here. You, you keep winning. You go on a miracle run. That's going to change our priorities and change our approach, right? I think that's good stuff. The second part of it is, though, that, you know, he was pretty clear about the holes on the roster, about the need to get faster, about the need to get younger, about the need to protect draft picks, about where this team's at in their cycle, and the fact that it's not a win-now team. And, and on the People Show, too, gave even a more conservative timeline. Like, it might be a couple years before we're, you know, back to being that aggressive buying team. That doesn't, of course, mean that he's not going to be aggressive. It just means that he's going to be aggressive with a longer view in mind. Yes. Because another thing that any executive coming in, especially one as sharp as Rutherford is, right? The the one thing you're going to come in and know immediately is, like, this isn't your year. Yes. This isn't your year, right? Yep. With, with where you're at, with how long the odds are that you're going to make the playoffs, with all the ass, with the asset harvest opportunity that awaits this team should they decide to sell in some manner. Like, if you're a guy with a three-year deal, right, <laughs> this is not the season that you need to go and spend to improve the, t- the team. You are making moves that are going to pay off in year two and year three, especially if you're Rutherford. And and I think that's a huge departure from what we might have expected from the last regime. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it, it, I think it will, as we said on the show yesterday, you know, it will quiet a lot of the fears from fans that we heard that, you know, Rutherford, you know, he's here short term. He's, he's going to try to jumpstart this process immediately. That was not the message that we got at all from Jim Rutherford, as you said, whether from the People's Show or uh, from his general availability earlier in the day. And the thing that really struck me listening to both, you know, the interview here on Sportsnet 650 with Sat Dan and Randeep and him talk to the assembled media, as much as he gave us a lot of meat about the player personnel side, and he was obviously, you know, excited about some of the pieces he has to work with here. I want to talk a little bit about that later. Uh, you know, but also recognizing the challenges, you could also tell. I thought there was a real excitement and a real enthusiasm from Jim Rutherford to get down to the business of building this front office and building this hockey operations department. And I, I, I thought, you know, I got the sense that he was almost more excited about that, right? Or at the very least, that that will kind of be his first priority. And you know, he he mentioned explicitly, "Hey, I have a, a track record." of mentoring and helping develop executives that go on to be GMs in other places. And I think, you know, maybe this is just the kind of uh, hockey nerd media guy in me talking, but I'm almost more curious to see what he does with this front office over the next couple of months than I am to see what he does with the roster. The roster will be interesting. And and as we said, okay, when the end of January comes around, then we're going to get down to business and we might see some real player movement. But Based on all of the things he had to say yesterday, I'm really fascinated to see what he makes his priorities and how he goes about restructuring the Canucks Hockey Operations Department. Yeah, and I mean, some of the names out there at the moment, you know, Patrick Alvin was his assistant general manager, but but before that is long-term director of amateur scouting with the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's a lot of industry noise yep. a- around him, you know, within the, the clucking hens of the amateur scouting community and on and on that, you know, that that's expected, but... When Rutherford said that he had a guy that he was bringing in immediately, like this week, if he could, if he could, 
Um, you know, I, I don't get the sense that that's Alvin. I, I suspect, you know, there, there's there's a ton of other names, though, yep. that he worked with who would be below the rank of assistant general manager. Or I And I say that meaning that teams are more likely to let them take a promotion rather than a lateral season, move right, yes. because teams don't typically allow you to yep. just jump ship for a lateral move but you know uh, randy sexton's a senior advisor in um minnesota he was a director of amateur scouting under rutherford in pittsburgh you know and then there's a ton of guys like sam ventura's a vp in buffalo um you know he was a director under rutherford in Pittsburgh, uh, Scott Young was his longtime player development guy in Pittsburgh, still there. Um, you know, Derek Clancy is another name, a guy with the with the Calgary Flames. And, and you know, I'm curious to see what route the club ends up taking um, or Rutherford ends up taking in, in addressing that assistant general manager. Those are those are literally just people who are connected to the organ to, to Rutherford yes. through his time in Pittsburgh. And I think, you know, with the loss of so much executive talent, from this organization over the course of the past week. I mean, we're talking about a GM who was deeply involved in the amateur side. We're talking about an assistant general manager in John Weisbrod who, who has effectively served as the overseer of player personnel matters for the Canucks. Um, you know, we're talking about Chris Gear, who oversaw the cap and the, you know, overall negotiation of contracts, specifically RFAs. And then you're talking about Jonathan Wall, who had an analytics portfolio and uh, a capologist portfolio, like a day-to-day roster management portfolio, like that's a lot of different needs that this organization now has to fill, right? Um, will Ryan Johnson, one of the twins, yep. uh, or or Stan Smeal take up some part of that? Uh, what is Rutherford's first priority in terms of that new incoming AGM? Should he be able to get that done this week? Like which portfolio is that AGM likely to slide into? Because, you know, the names that I mentioned, uh, for example, the connected to Rutherford in the past, we're talking about a lot of amateur guys. We're talking about a couple player personnel guys. We're talking about one analytics guy. None of the names I mentioned are, are the cap management guys. Rutherford's clearly handling that portfolio himself at the moment. But at some point, you know, I do think you're going to want to free him up to be spending his time on trade calls yes. as opposed to spending his time making tough decisions on Hamannick as opposed to just taking recommendations and, and asking tough questions and sort of overseeing that process. And he said himself that he wants to get, you know, he kind of, he tried to thread the needle, right? Saying, look, we have that covered off right now, the daily cap management side of things, but that's also a spot where I want to add somebody relatively quickly to have more help in that area. The other specific point on the front office was he was asked directly you know, look, the NHL has a, a well-earned reputation of just hiring from the old boys club, essentially, is what the question was. And do you have plans to change that? And Jim Rutherford, it, it was a relatively short answer, pretty direct. But he, he said, yes, look, I, I recognize that society is always changing, and I would like to build a, diver- a more diverse front office as possible. Now, he also, you know, included the caveat of sometimes that's easier said than done. And I thought it was a really interesting answer because, one, it's very refreshing to hear somebody like Jim Rutherford, who's been around the game forever, say, yeah, we do need to bring more voices into the game. But the question for me is always, how much effort are you going to put into that? What, what did you make of his comments about the potential of you know trying to include more diverse voices in a front office? Yeah, I didn't think that was his strongest moment, to be totally honest with you, of, of, the, press, uh, or of the press conference. But I want to bring up one thing that I think matters a lot because it took the Canucks an awfully long time. And look, I'm going to just admit that I'm super biased about this. 
The Canucks, by the way, let's let's handle this right yeah. off the so bat. So the Canucks just announced that Jim Rutherford, uh, again, president of Hockey Operations, interim GM, will speak to the media, conduct media availability, uh, specifically regarding the fact that Luke Shen and Yuho Lamico have been placed in COVID protocol. That will be happening at 1230. Uh, we will try to bring you that live here on Sportsnet 650. And again, uh, that is a change in how we've seen things done. You, 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 we had the texter ask earlier in the show, Drancer, will it be the coach addressing the media or will Jim Rutherford do it? It will be Jim Rutherford addressing the media today on the COVID-19 issue. Again, coming up in about 45 minutes at 1230, you will hear from Jim Rutherford take questions about what the Canucks are dealing with with COVID-19 at the moment. So again, 1230, Jim Rutherford speaks. Back to what we were saying about his answer at the press conference yesterday. And I just want to spotlight a tweet from the Toronto Stars' Chris Johnston, who notes that 23 players have been added to the NHL's COVID protocol list inside the last 36 hours. That's a full roster worth of bodies. Yep. Um, you know, that is going to have significant ramifications for league, the conduct of normal league business here. Um, so the Canucks are a patchwork within within the wider fabric of the NHL. And, and of course, the NHL is a, a part, you know, reflecting the, the heightened seasonal risk that we're all sort of going to be navigating as we approach the holiday season. Um, and I just wanted to contextualize all of that before getting back to my point, which was regarding Rutherford and non-traditional hires, you know, I'm a little biased by this, and I'm going to admit my bias right off the bat. But, you know, I came through Canucks Army, right? Yep. Uh, and I, I sort of ran it at a moment where I remember being at the 2013 NHL draft, and I had Dmitry Filipovich and Rob Petipas and Cam Sharon sending me player reports on these prospects. And within a year, all three were working for NHL teams. So I went about rebuilding our group of analysts and two years later I had the same sort of reports coming at me from Reese Jessup, Cam Lawrence and Josh Weisbach, all of whom within a year were working for NHL teams. And you know, five of the six names I mentioned still are working in R and D. That's a lot of local talent. That's a lot of local talent that the Canucks didn't hire, right? In the next wave of Canucks army, we ended up with Ryan beach and Jeremy Davis, Ryan beach of whom now works of course in Canucks R and D, um, you know, specifically working with the amateur side, but it took the Canucks like six, seven years to hire one of the talented local guys that other NHL teams sort of took from Vancouver and managed to get significant value out of in terms of the intellectual horsepower that they were able to bring to front office operations and and talent identification. And in Rutherford's case, there was a website called War on Ice that was like the website for both salary data and... Um, analytics data, and it was run out of Pittsburgh by a couple of uh, gentlemen, A.C. Thomas and Sam Ventura, who Sam, the latter of whom is now the VP of Hockey Strategy for the um, Buffalo Sabres organization. And, you know, to Rutherford's credit, right, that organization pounced fast. Like, hockey, hockey, the war on ice only operated for 18 months before Ventura was working for the Penguins. And, you know, I think that's a good look. Like, he managed to do something that the last administration didn't, and honestly, even the tail end of the Gillis era didn't, which was, oh, hey, look, there's a really smart group of people locally. Maybe yeah. they can help us. In our backyard, there In are our people backyard. doing cutting-edge work, and we're going to try to we're gonna bring him on. on that. And he yeah. did that. He did that. And I think that's a very good look on him. I think that's a very good look on the Penguins organization. Sam Ventura had, like, days with the cup. Like, his name's on the cup. So can't really argue with that decision or with the fact that the club, the Pittsburgh Penguins, on their road to winning – managed to identify a ton of undervalued pieces, particularly along the blue line, but up front too. I mean, 
the Patrick Hornfist James Neal deal when it was made was regarded as a huge loss for Rutherford, and very quickly it became apparent that Hornfist was one of the most unique power forward, you know, Thomas Holmstrom type <laughs> net front guys in the league. So uh, a very good look for for Rutherford, and and you know when when I when I hear him talk about non traditional hires, you know not not that I was. Uh, super convinced, but I do think he's got a reputation of looking around in his own backyard and mining talent and identifying talent effectively. And I think that's something that if the organization, this organization, had been better at over the course of the past decade, I think they'd be in a healthier spot as Rutherford takes over. Well, and at least, as you said, he has the track record. Now, can you... But he has the track record to make at least... He can legitimately say, yes, I'm in favor of different voices. I, I welcome the debate that comes from having different voices because you've seen it in his past. He has that on his resume. It, you know, it remains to be seen if he can duplicate that here in Vancouver, but at least you can look at it and it's not just, oh, saying what people want to hear, right? He has actually done it in the past. On a couple of player issues, I thought the his answer about Quinn Hughes was fascinating, not just because he obviously loves Quinn Hughes as a player, also because of what he said about the best way to play defense, which is, get the puck and get it out of your own end as quickly as possible. I think that was probably music to, to the ears of a lot of Canucks fans, uh, mm-hmm. especially it was interesting that answer paired with his defenses of the Jack Johnson and Eric Goodbranson acquisitions is kind of, okay, how do we, how do we parse this? Where do we assign value? Which of those answers actually means more? I thought that was kind of an interesting debate as well. Well, I liked the idea that he, you know, the thing about Jack Johnson and Eric Goodbranson is that they're playing meaningful roles for good teams right now. And, you know, although he defended them and it was a little bit, um, you know, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to say eye roll inducing because Rutherford deserves more respect than that. But it was not his most convincing moment. Right. right? It wasn't it was uh, of all the moments where Rutherford said something and it was like dead on. Yep. hundred percent. This guy knows what he's talking about. His defenses of the Jack Johnson deal and the Eric Branson trade were not, you know, those those were not those moments. But but. Those players are still playing meaningful roles for very good teams in the NHL. And toward the end of the good Branson uh, answer, he said, you know, we needed a guy who played physically. But eventually he cost too much against the cap, like for what he was. So we moved him again. So we had to move on. Yeah. And, And like, that's good. Like, yeah, there is a role for the cycle stopper on your team. There is a that that is a player type you do need especially to kill penalties. And, you know, with Quinn Hughes, like, look how good Quinn Hughes has looked with Luke Shen. Right. Oh, for example. Right. Like there is you do need those guys. You do need the guy who can, you know, Quinn Hughes might be able to get the puck out. But sometimes you need the guy who can press a guy against the wall so that Quinn Hughes so can, Quinn Hughes can by. get the puck and yeah, get it exactly. out. Yeah. Like you, you, you do need that type of player. You just need that type of player at the right dollar value and you need the right guy. And I think we've got proof of concept in what Luke Shen's been able to do for the Canucks, especially since he's been become a lineup regular over the course of the past three weeks. So, you know, I thought. Rutherford actually demonstrated a pretty sophisticated, unsurprisingly, but a pretty sophisticated understanding of you need these guys, but you need them at the right level. And, you know, the Johnson signing wasn't that. The good Branson trade wasn't that. But, you know, going forward, I I don't think it's uh, I think it's tough to argue with the idea that you do need those players. You just need them at the at the right pay grade. Final thoughts here. Uh, This text comes in from Johnny Mack. He says, Elias Pettersson, not fast or physical, abysmal at faceoffs with a GM who built his Stanley Cup runs on centers like Crosby and Malkin. He will move Pettersson out as his first move. That's from Johnny Mack, 650, 650. 
Let's not get ahead of ourselves. That would be a shock. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, I wish Johnny I could, Mac. I wish I could bet against you, Johnny yes, Mac. Yes, absolutely. That is not going to be his first move. I would be very, 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 very shocked by that. But his his insight into Elias Patterson was very different in its tone than what he said about Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko, which was noticeable. Impossible to not have that as a takeaway from the overall availability. I mean, I thought it was definitely one of the most notable parts, but... The idea of Pedersen being among the first moves doesn't doesn't track no, for me. No, um, you know, all of that said, all of that said, one thing that Rutherford did do in Pittsburgh, right, was make sure to clear out guys that he perceived as, uh, you know, suboptimal cultural fits, and and so that's the one thing that you know I, I thought the all players go through this. We need to work with the coaching staff, hockey operations, and the coaching staff to help him take the next step. Um, you know, I, I do think that that spoke volumes about, you know, a challenge to Pedersen. Like, if you, you know, I, I think about it from Rutherford's perspective, too. Like, you build this two-time cup winner, back-to-back cup winner, and you build it around Latang. So you're like, oh, I've got my Latang. Right. I've got Quinn Hughes. Yeah. Do I have my Crosby and Malkin? Right? Like, isn't that the natural question you'd ask yourself if you've done it before? If you're him, you're like, I've got my franchise goalie. Good. Yeah. Peace. Done. I've got Hughes. I've got my Latang. Done. What, what do I have my two horses up front? And if you look around and you, if you look at Quinn Hughes and how he's, or sorry, Elias Pettersson right now and how he's played, do you think you've got that or do you not? And if you don't, that player's awfully hard to find, right? Awfully hard to find. That becomes the biggest question, the biggest quest that this organization needs to go about sort of accomplishing in the early years of, of Rutherford's tenure. And so I, I did sort of read – that was sort of my read on it. That was my, my, my interpretation was he was like, I don't know. I know that these guys are those. Yes. I don't know that this guy is that. And that's a high bar that he's set and a high bar that Pedersen will be expected to hit if he's going to be a part of the solution long term in Vancouver. That's going to do it for us here on the Canucks Hour. As a reminder, Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, will be speaking to the media in just over half an hour at 12.30 about the COVID situation. Again, if you're just joining us, Canucks defenseman Luke Shen and forward Yuho Lamico added to the NHL's COVID-19 protocols today. For now, the game against Columbus still scheduled to happen as scheduled tonight. But again, we will hear more from Jim Rutherford in just over half an hour. You're listening to the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.